0: Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service Podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty.
1: Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Episode 17 of the Focus on Customer Service Podcast. We're very happy to have you back with us, and we have a great episode for you today. As always, I'm joined by my colleague, Dan Moriarty. Dan, what's going on tonight? Not much,
2: Dan. How are
1: you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm hungry,
2: though. Yeah, me too. I wonder why you say that. Is it anything to do with our guest tonight? It uh, could be. Could be? Well, let me introduce him. So, also on the line with myself and Dan, we've got Scott Wise, who is the president and CEO of Gotties Brewhouse. Scott, are you there? Know? I'm
0: here. Thanks for having me, guys, and thanks for having both the same name. It makes it super easy to not confuse anything.
2: Same name, but different accents helps a lot. <laughs> Scott, why don't you quickly jump in and just kind of tell everyone listening what Scotty's Brewhouse is.
0: So I started at the age of 22, straight out of college, a kid that did everything that he shouldn't do in his hometown, decided to open a restaurant and a bar. And luckily, I just had great parents and great people around me. Some of the original people that helped me start the restaurant are still with me today. And it was just a concept that was really created out of Selfishness. I, I tell people that clearly I'm selfish, or I wouldn't name every restaurant after myself. And my wife would gladly back this statement up that I wanted to make a a restaurant that was some place that I could go into at any age and just feel comfortable and have really the the basics. I mean, you know, it's pretty cliche to say, but I mean, you've got to have great customer service, great product at a great location, and and if you have all those things, then it should work, right? I mean, that's that's a clear uh, way to run a restaurant. However, as we know, 75% or so of people that get into this industry fail within the first three years. And I don't want to say that I've got any kind of magic touch because I've had my share of failures, but I created a concept that I knew that would have legs, meaning that, that you know, I love going to the new trendy restaurants, but my fear of of ever starting one of those is that they're new and trendy and they're trendy for a reason because eventually they're not going to be trendy. And so I I felt like creating a concept, which is what we are, is what I would call kind of an upscale sports bar. So it just takes, I like to take our food, hamburgers, fries, you know, salads and wraps and, and all these kind of things, but do it with my own twist. So I kind of parlay on the fact that I, I don't take life too seriously. I think it's life's too short to not have fun and to not laugh at yourself and to stay humble. And, and so that's what I do with my restaurant. You know, we just do things and I'll see something that I like. You know, Chicago is one of my favorite foodie towns to go to, and I'll see something that I love, but I know that it's not going to work exactly right in my concept, so I'd kind of just tweak it, and I have a little fun with it. And so that's what we've done. I've I've taken a brand, and we're celebrating our 20th year next year, and I've been able to grow it, and with the help of good people and a little bit of luck of surviving a a crazy recession, we were able to make things work. So that's what I'm doing, and we're continuing to, to grow and expand.
1: And it looks like you have now a dozen locations all in the state of Indiana, correct?
0: We do. We have a dozen, actually 13. We just opened our 13th about a month ago, and our 14th is going to open in Indiana in December. And then in February and March of next year, we've got one that's going to open, our first one out of state in Punta Gorda, Florida, and another one on the campus of Butler University. And the next one after that will be open at Champaign-Urbana at the University of Illinois. So, we're ready to jump out of state. I didn't think my first one out of state was going to be five states away. It was a little bit further than what I thought, but it's a great opportunity. We're right on the water in Punta Gorda, and it's, it was one of those situations that I, I couldn't look away from. So so we'll be up to 17 units by uh, first quarter of next year.
1: Well, that's fantastic. I have a colleague of mine at work who went to Indiana University, and when she heard that I was talking to you, she got really, really excited and said specifically that <laughs> You have the best loaded fries of anywhere that she's ever been. Can you tell us a little bit about the loaded fries?
0: It's funny she says that. Because, I mean, it is, it's an awesome dish. It's, I mean, it's basically just taking a bunch of fries and throwing as much cheese and crumbled crunchy bacon and sour cream on top, and it's kind of like a no-fail dish. I mean, unless you're insane or you're on a weight loss program, then you're not going to probably want to eat it, but Indiana University was our second location that we opened in 2001, and it's funny. The guy that's been with me from almost day one who is now my COO, at the time was just a bartender, ready to make the move into getting into owning a restaurant, and he said, I told him we were going to open another location, and I was looking at Purdue and IU. Well, anybody that knows anything about Indiana basketball or just colleges in general know that those two are at the opposite ends of the dichotomy, and and he said, if you choose Purdue, I'd rather stick a needle in my eyes, what he said, and then I would rather wait until the next one comes available. And I said, dude, if you're that much into IU, then we'll, I'll just open it in Bloomington. So that's what we did. We went down there and found a location, and it's been incredible. But I'll tell you, the dish that I can't believe she didn't say anything about is our fried pickles. We sell over a million, we call them dill chips, and they're just dill pickle chips that we hand-bred ourselves, and we sell over a million a year. It's kind of our, our little niche that we started that I started 20 years
2: ago and, it's, and still with us today. Awesome! It sounds like uh, a bit of the American dream coming to <laughs> I also was just looking at your website before this call, and I think I saw pizza of the month was bacon, jalapeno, and Cheetos. Oh yeah, flaming hot Cheetos, not just normal Cheetos. Not yes. just normal Cheetos. Well, uh, I'll look forward <laughs> to trying that at some point. Hey, so the thing. That really jumped out to Dan and I about you and, and kind of social customer care approach and what you do. Interesting is the fact that your brand handle is your personal handle, and that you're you know, from one handle you're being yourself, you're being the brand, and you're also engaging with with your guests and your customers. Right? I was, if you could just talk a little bit about you know, how that came to be, whether it was deliberate or kind of evolved that way, and, and how you manage that in your day to day schedule.
0: It was deliberate, and it is. It's definitely avant garde. I think it. I wouldn't probably teach people to go out into business and try it this way. In fact, my probably my director of HR and my lawyer would also tell you the same thing that they tell me every Monday morning, quit tweeting after 9 o'clock at night on Friday night, Scott. You, you've you've clearly had too many beers and you're saying the things that you shouldn't say. But I think, and I really do that. I really, I mean, there are times where I probably say things I shouldn't say. But I think what the guests and the consumer enjoys is that the brand is an actual person. You know, I think you see the name Scotty's Brewhouse on all these restaurants And I remember servers coming up to me and they would say, it's funny. The other day I had somebody ask if Scotty was a real person or if it was just, you know, this fictitious thing that was created. I think the the beauty of this, the Internet and social media and what it's done to our world by kind of compressing it and making it much smaller, it came at a great time for me. And I always relate it to the recession is when it really, for me, kind of took off. And I knew that I had to drop all this. My marketing budget had to be slashed in half. And I thought, well, how am I going to get the word out that everything's half off just so I can get some bodies in the restaurant? And all of a sudden there was this thing called social media. And there was a little bit more to it. I mean, I like tech and I just thought it was fun to get involved with. But I thought if I'm going to get out there, I kind of relate it to a DVR. So if you're at home, if I do nothing but talk commercials, then you're going to fast forward through me or you're not going to listen to me. So if you watch our Twitter account, you'll see that our strategy is that every other message is something that is marketing and then the next message is going to be non-marketing. It's going to be either talk about the Cubbies, a team that I love, or the Colts, or the Pacers, or it might be that my three-year-old crapped her pants and I had to go clean it up and it's a mess and I'm pissed off. It's me really talking from the hip and and not so much, you know, now as we've grown bigger and as social media has gotten bigger and as our followers continue to get bigger, I can't manage it all myself. I've actually got a team of people that help me. But I read every single tweet that comes in. I'd kind of pick and choose the ones that I want to reply to. We follow everyone that follows us. So you'll see that we, we do that for a reason. I mean, we, this was before they've allowed you to direct message anybody. But on Twitter, I would use it as a way to talk to people. They would ask me a question, then I'd go through direct messages to talk back to them. So I think that by putting myself personally involved, and, and my guests know it. They know that if they want to get a hold of me, that that's a good way to get a hold of me. But it's one thing to just do it and to just talk. And I wasn't ever going to do that. I didn't want to just sit out there and say, hey, I'm going to Disney World. Follow me. Listen to me. I'm going to tweet about what I'm eating for lunch today. It was not going to be just about that. I I like to entertain. I mean, that's why I'm in the business of customer service. I want to make you smile and laugh. I love making people laugh. And, And I always think that Twitter is very addictive. It's definitely got some kind of psychological. I've got an issue for sure, because once I say something funny, what do we all do? We go back and we check to see how many retweets or favorites we got, because that's showing, giving me some pats on the back that said, I I said something funny. So with the way that I do it, I think that it's just a way for me to interact. And so when I say that the world got smaller with this digital media, it's not just one way conversation. That's not how it should work. It should be always be a conversation. And so what I love about the fact that I can use social media is that A, that they can talk directly to me and B, I can monitor instantly what's happening in my restaurants at any given time. And I can tell you a dozen stories of people that have tweeted me while they're at the restaurant saying, hey, Scott, service was pretty decent, but I haven't seen my waiter in about 15 minutes. And they're tweeting me this. They're tweeting everybody this. And I just happen to be, I always kind of joke around that I say that usually it's a Friday night and I'm laying on the couch. My wife's watching some stupid housewives of some county that I could care less about. So I do the natural thing. I pick up my phone and I start looking through Twitter and I see that. And the thing that I've done multiple times is I will take that message and, and I'll get on the phone, old fashioned, and I'll call my restaurant and say, hey, you've got somebody at a table and I've asked them where their location is. So here's where they are. Go take care of them. Buy them a drink. Say it's from me and get their server to make sure that they're t- paying better better attention. And you wouldn't believe the type of loyalty that you can garner out of doing something like that, you know, that they know that you're paying attention, that you care, you listen. And it's not always that easy. It's not always instantaneous. Even if, it's, if somebody leaves the restaurant and they have an issue, I'll take that same message. One of the things that I pride myself on, and it takes a good, solid, one full day of every week, every comment that comes into my restaurant, whether it's through the website, through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any type of way that the message comes in, I respond to every single guest, whether it's positive or constructive, and I either thank them, and let them know that I'm going to thank their server or bartender or whomever gave them a good experience. Or if it's constructive, I also thank them for the feedback. I let them know that I appreciate it. And then I make sure that my management team, I then send it to my management team and they respond to that guest as well. And I found that that one thing that we do, in my opinion, makes us more successful than almost anything else that we do in this restaurant. The fact that we listen to people on a daily basis and we respond and we act. Because the way that I tell people is that, you know, listen, this Serving food 365 days a year is like cooking Thanksgiving for your family of 20. You're occasionally going to burn something. We are human beings in a human world, and we're going to make mistakes. And not every guest is going to listen to you and be okay with that because clearly they're perfect and we can't affect that. But 9 out of 10 are going to say, I appreciate the fact that you just owned up to it. I appreciate that you apologized to me. I'll be back in your restaurant next week and give you another try because you, you clearly care about customer service.
1: Wow, I love that, Scott. Uh, There's about a thousand things I want to ask you (laughs) after that. But I want to start with this idea that a restaurant, you kind of think about the experience as being about the food. And you go in and you enjoy the food or you don't enjoy the food. And what I'm hearing you saying, which I completely agree with, is that the experience is so much more than that, because there are lots of things that are going on. You've got the temperature of the restaurant, the music in the restaurant, whether you can see the game that you came to see, because you mentioned that that it's a sort of a sports atmosphere. You've got the servers and whether they're polite and all that sort of stuff. And then you've got this, the customer service when it's needed. And so it sounds like what's happening, if I can kind of paraphrase what you said, is that your ability to provide service, even potentially in real time, is one of those things that can affect customers' experience of your restaurant maybe even more than the food.
0: Oh, 100%. You know, we've had, like I said, I told my team, and they all agree with me, that you can take somebody that's had a negative experience in your restaurant, and if you approach it the right way, and what I say is you, you don't pardon my French, but you don't piss on a fire. If, they, if you've got a problem, you take care of it five times over. You overcompensate because you can take somebody that's had the worst experience and turn them into the most raving fan by dealing with it the right way. You can, in the same breath, you can also take a bad situation and make it worse by doing what I just said and not taking care of it the right way. So it's not always going to happen instantaneously. It can. I tell my managers that. I'd love to get no tweets and no emails because that tells me that my management team is on the floor taking care of guests, whether they're having a good experience or a negative experience, they can approach it. And if they get to that table and take care of that negative experience right away, and they can do the same thing I'm doing in person versus me doing it on Twitter, then they've accomplished exactly what I'm asking them to do. And they try. And sometimes it's not to their fault. Sometimes it's a serve. I remember the days when I was serving and Last thing I want to do is go wrap my own self out and say, hey, I screwed up at this table, Mr. Manager, Mrs. Manager, I need you to go out here and fix it because all I'm doing is now pissing off the manager and now they're going to talk to me after work about how I screwed up. And there are all kinds of other challenges with that. But as I tell my team, the world has gotten so complacent and okay with good service or, or not even good, average. It's almost like we think average service nowadays is we're accepting of that. We're like, oh, my God, I got... They actually took care of me, and they arrived in the right amount of time. The food was lukewarm, and I got out of here in a decent amount of time, and that was pretty good service. That wasn't good service. That was average crappy service. Why would we be okay with that? So I I tell my team that everybody and their brother or sister now owns a burger or restaurant with a 1,000 craft beers. So what makes us any different than any one of them? There's only one thing, and that's the human being that is serving them the food, that is entertaining them, that is – getting them the check when they want to get out or that is going above and beyond. It's not just doing the serving the food hot. That's expected. I tell them that to go above and beyond, to give them something the guest experience, the way to create a raving fan or a wow moment is to give something something they want that they never knew they wanted. To give somebody something they want that they never knew they wanted, that's when you create a wow moment. And I tell them I can't teach them that. It's something like Someone dropping a fork on the floor, and you heard it fifty feet away, and you brought them a new fork on a napkin, and, and you surprised them with that. Or I've had a server tell me that he was listening to his table talk, and they said they got to wrap up, and they wish they could spend more time together, but the meter was running out. And then the server didn't even tell me this. The guest actually sent me this email, and he said, "I just got to tell you that this kid heard us talking about that and took change out of his own pocket and went out and put it in my car and came back and said, "Hey, You guys take more time. I I went ahead and fed, fed your meter. You're good. And I said, and literally chokes me up because that's the kind of stuff that you can't teach somebody. You know, that's that. I tell my team, it's not IQ, it's EQ. It's that emotional quotient where you get people that you understand, you're empathetic and you know, you just know in your being what they want and what they need and you bring it to them and they're just like, wow, this place actually gets it. So I know that I totally get off subject every time you ask me a question and I and I ramble all across the board but I'm very passionate about our customer service it's tough for somebody that's like me that's type a ocd first child you know i've got all these psychological issues that i want to be a perfectionist yet it's that impossible goal of being perfect but as i tell people i'm going to die trying man i'm going to give it my all because i think that the world is making it much easier for us perfectionists to do this because I tell my team, if they can just give it just a few more efforts, just a few levels up, you're instantly 10 times better than the 800 number that I had to call and press five and four and three. And then I finally got an automated voicemail from India to talk to somebody about a
2: bad service situation I had. And Scott, your passion comes across loud and clear. I think it's safe to say it's, it's great Thank to hear. It's super interesting hearing you talk about the, the guy running out, putting change into the meter to let the guests continue to stay. I and mean, my question, I guess, would be like, how do you interview for that? I, I think Dan and I agree completely with what you're saying with regards to some of this stuff. Like, some stuff you can teach, but that core, that core EQ, right? That core empathy for understanding what people are after. How do you hire for that? We teach our team when we're teaching them how to hire and look for the right people. Um,
0: you know, technology A has really made it a lot easier than back in my. You know, I hate sounding like a my dad when I say this, but back in my day when you had a a paper application and you had to look through it and decide if they were right or not for a callback. Nowadays, you've got, it's not even a paper application, it's apply online. And now our HR services will red flag it for us. It'll say, hey, this has got a few issues. I would give this a yellow or I'd give this a red or i give this a green. So that process helps a little bit, but that's only the start. I think when they come in, what we teach our team is that You're not looking for, if somebody says, Hey, I've worked three years at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, I tell them, Guess what? I don't give two shits where you've worked because I can teach anybody how to serve a burger and fries and get the right temperature right and get a drink out to somebody. What I want to know is tell me the best joke you've heard in the last three days or you've had a bad situation at home. Tell me how you got out of it. We try to put them a little bit on their toes and ask those questions that really have nothing to do with – not customer service, but really have nothing to do with the restaurant industry. I want to – what we say in a cheesy way is we hire for smiles and we train for talent. So I want to hire you because you looked me in the eye when you walked into the interview and that I could count how many teeth you had because you smiled several times. And that you had a personality that jumped off the page at me. And so that's what we train our team to look for, because that's the stuff that you can't teach. When you come to me at the age of 21 years old and you're looking for a job to serve, I can't teach you the things that are becoming lost arts in our world. How to say please and thank you and open a door for somebody and pull a chair out for somebody. I think these are the the lost arts of such a simple way to make an incredible impact on someone. It's not customer service. It's just good manners. It's just having a good, polite person to work for you. So we've got this vision card. It took me 16 years of running this company. I said I would never have a mission statement because I felt like it was just a really cliche BS thing that you were supposed to have when you became a big company. And it's funny because I'm becoming this thing that I never wanted to be. You know, like I hated the, the big empires of the world, the big Franchises that had all these restaurants, and all of a sudden, now I've got. I've, now, my goal is to keep, keep growing, but I've always told my team I'm going to work hard to become be the anti chain chain. I want to be that place that people come in and it still feels like a mom and pop with more corporate rules in place that you just don't know about in the background. So, with this vision statement, I had somebody tell me, Hey, you've got to look at this book. I think this would resonate with you. And it was the book that you might remember called Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And there were like these, you know, these 15 things on this page of just, I've got a card right here. I'll read it to you. Our card is, it folds in half. And so on the front of the card, I put the statement in quotes, I will act in a way that will make my blank proud. And we hand these out to every person that gets hired in our company. And I let them fill it out. I said, you don't have to come to work to make me proud. If you want to make yourself or your parents or if you got a child or a husband or a wife, then just act in a way that you're going to make somebody proud. And then on the inside of the card, I put – and I asked them to carry this around. And this kind of was a, an idea that I know that the Ritz had in place for a long time. I don't know if they still do it. But I asked my team to carry this around, and I occasionally will ask them to pull it out and show it to me when I'm in a restaurant. And the card just has about 20 different things inside it that, that really, in my opinion, is, encompasses what we're all about. And it's be nice, share, be polite, and remember your manners say please and thank you and I'm sorry, open doors for people, pull chairs out for people, smile and laugh, put things back where you found them, clean up after your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, don't hit and play fair. And so I, I go on and on. There's about another 15 of these. But it's just, a. in my opinion, these are the qualities that you can't teach this millennial generation or whatever we're calling this new generation coming out. These are things that you're hoping that they have the ability to look up from their iPhones, and look at you in the eyes and be able to still know how to have a conversation without using the word you or whatever other acronym we're now using in our text world that's the long-winded version of how we look for people it's looking for people that have a really good true quality personality
1: i love that list and and would love to hear the rest of it sometime maybe we can uh post it with the podcast but it sounds a little bit like the things that i try to teach my kids so yeah it's exactly <laughs> perhaps, right uh, Perhaps okay. there's a connection there. So we're talking with the very energetic and passionate president and CEO of Scotty's Brew House, Scott Wise, and you can find him on Twitter at at brew house really cool handle and as we mentioned before that is both scott's personal handle as well as the brew house's handle so it is a really good account to follow we've both been scrolling through it it's really a lot of very funny stuff interesting stuff there's an article here that i've already flagged for later that uh, apparently is (laughs) going to tell me why drinking a couple of beers a day is good for me i would imagine a bar owner to uh would a brew house owner would uh, would be supportive of such an article so Anyway, Scott, I wanted to change the subject just a tiny bit and talk a little bit about the various channels that your customers come in and uh, approach you with. And you mentioned a few before. You mentioned Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I would imagine that that Yelp or Google probably also play a role in your business. I don't know whether people can call you or email you, but can you just talk a little bit about the different channels that you have to manage and in particular whether uh, social media results in maybe different comments, questions, or complaints that you might find in other channels?
0: Yeah, I think that when I started it, I, and as I tell people, when I create a menu item or when I'm in the restaurant, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, that I, it's all self-serving. I think of myself as kind of the average Joe, and I know that I can't encapsulate a being a 40-year-old woman. I mean, I, I am a, a man, and I I can't be an 80-year-old man. I, you know, I, I know that I'm not everything to everyone, but I always try to use myself as the test market. So when I'm creating any of these things, whether it's a new food item or what the chairs are like in the restaurant, it's always going to have to be something that resonates with me that I think is just either cool or this this would work well or I think that our our consumers would get this because I get it. And like I said, it's not that doesn't always it's not, fool, it's not foolproof. It, it it does have its flaws, but same thing goes with technology. And I think a lot of it is just I want to say it's common sense, but I know that saying that not everybody seems to have that that bone in their body, that common sense bone. And I think that when I use Twitter, I can see without even somebody giving me demographical data, what age group is reading. And just by retweets and tweets and favorites, I can tell what people are on Twitter versus what age group and demographic is reading our stuff on Facebook. And I can do the same with Instagram. And I think that anybody that pays attention to the world understands that they've got to keep up and it's not the minute that a snapchat is born then the next thing is going to come around. Yeah, I tell people a lot of times it's just like kind of your parents coming into the party. The minute your parents walk into the room, party's over and you go to a different room to start a new party and that's kind of what I've seen with all these advents of different social mediums. I think that you're finding certain age groups are not leaving certain places. I you know, I think that this I would say the 30 to 40 plus are staying on Facebook. They don't need Snapchat. They understand it or they hear it, but they don't really need it. It's not something that's important in their lives. I think the other thing you have to monitor is what happens when the all-powerful Zuckerberg and others that are smart start tweaking things and changing things. Because when we first started using Facebook, I saw the power of MySpace, and we can laugh about it today, but those that are old enough would remember that MySpace was Facebook before it was Facebook. And I saw the power of, I kind of knew where the world was going. I could just see it all happening. And I tell the story a lot of times. I equate it to, I used to love to read the newspaper. But I quit getting the newspaper because I have a well, AI I have the internet, and I also have an inbox. And I get all these different papers that I've subscribed to send me all these stories every day, all consolidated for me, all ready to go. So then I started thinking, why am I advertising in the newspaper if I don't read the print newspaper? And this is 10 years ago. Before the, the newspapers and everybody started getting smart and, and putting ads and things built into these inboxes and blasts and coming up with different pay-per-view models, but I just it was back then where I was just felt like I was watching the way the trends in the world was going and I just kind of ebbed and flowed the way that the world was going and I saw where we were going. But like I said, when Facebook came around and we started marketing on that page, it was great. We would get just hundreds and hundreds of views and and likes and and all of a sudden Facebook caught on and went public and figured out that they're going to have to come up with a model where they can make some income. And now when I post, if it's not a paid ad, it gets very few mentions because it doesn't fall into anybody's feed. They're smart enough to know that they keep it out of the feeds unless we do some paid advertising, which now we do on a weekly basis because if I want to get the message out to them, then I have to do it that way. I'm lucky right now that Twitter hasn't gone that route. I mean, they've got paid advertising, but I don't think it's valuable yet. And I don't think they've come up with a way to block the way that we're talking. But I think that's the way that I kind of watch, you know, I know my demographic. I know that the, the age and the, and the sex of the people that are coming in and what time of day. And, you know, we're on college campuses and we're in big cities and we're getting ready to go out of state. And so that throws all kinds of new monkey wrenches into this program. But I think that I've just learned to be able to use the different mediums in different ways. I mean, you know that I call it the kind of the cavemanning of society where we've gone from, we, you know, blogs were really popular several years ago but, geez, we, we got too tired of reading all these words, so then we had to come up with Twitter, so it was just at least 140 characters that we could keep it to. Well, then we got really tired of reading that, so then we had to come up with Instagram and Snapchat so that we could just, just show me a picture so I can just make it really easy. I mean, that's, we've kind of gone backwards in the way that we're reading things, but I think for any business owner, it doesn't have to be a restaurant, it's just anybody knows if you have a good feel for your consumer and you know who's coming in, you know the demographic, you know what they're looking for, then you know what message you should be putting out there and on what medium to to use. I find it interesting that email marketing after all these years, you know, we've been doing it for I think gosh, I bet 12 years now we've been using email marketing. We're up to I think we've got 75,000 people on our email database. It's like that one thing that is funny, it's still I mean I I think we've got a lot of spam and junk mail and things that are kind of filtering it out for us. But it's funny. To me, it's funny that it's one of those things that has really stood the test of time. And we still use it today as much as
2: we did back then. Scott, that was something I just want to record and tweet out line by line. That was a great (laughs) uh, stream of consciousness about the state of marketing today. (laughs) Bringing it back to something you were talking about earlier about how ultimately all that matters is the, the experience of your customers when they're sitting in your restaurant. And talking about how you know, you've know you been able to – you know using Twitter primarily, you've been able to make those experiences better in some occasions, where, mostly where it sounds like they've been tweeting you because something hasn't been going as well as they have been wanting it to go and as well as you've been wanting it to go. So I was wondering, have you done much with regards to like promoting the fact that that's a service that you offer inside your premises? Or is it just something that happens naturally? Like, Do you sync it up with your offline experience? Occasionally, we will tweet yes.
0: out. That we'll say, you know, hey, don't forget that I listen to every comment that comes in. So if you have any feedback, please send it to us. On occasion, we will put that out there about every once every couple weeks just to remind people that we are listening. But most people that know the, the brand and the restaurant already know the fact. They know that if they're going to say something, we listen. And it's not always negative. I, I can give you, a, give you a good story. I put out some tweet that I was trying to be funny. And I just said, you know, hey, don't forget to join our loyalty program. Because the good news is, guys, I know you forget your anniversary. So, this is a good way that we'll remind you and you get a free dessert out of it. And somebody just tweeted back and said, Glad you said that, but I don't need the reminder. We met in your restaurant three years ago and we're going tonight for our anniversary. And so I thought, you know, boom, instant, this is the opportunity to make a wow moment. So, I called the restaurant. I said, Hey, these people are going to come in, you know, look at their avatar because here's what they look like. I don't, you know, and here's their name. You know, we're not a a tablecloth restaurant, but I said, go get a black tablecloth, put it down on the table, get a flowers and a candle. And when they come in, bring them a bottle of champagne. And I'll tell you, like something like that is just incredible what somebody, you know, it's not that I'm doing it for any kind of marketing. There's no, I'm happy that they went and tweeted and Instagrammed and told the world that what we did for them. But that wasn't the point. The point was, you know, I don't try to lose track of the fact that I'm in the business of customer service and I serve food and drink. And it's not that it's the Scott Twitter show or the Scotty's Instagram show. That stuff is fun and I do have a good time with it. But at the end of the day, I've got to be able to offer a product and a service that is above and beyond everybody else that's out there. And so I think that we take times like that. and We just, it's not difficult to listen to what people are saying. For the longest time, I remember uh, as this thing has grown and I started this Twitter thing and then as it's grown, we they always call it the quote unquote free medium. Well, it's clearly social media is not free because... As I've created this monster, now I've got a department in my company that has to handle it. I've got a director at digital media, and now he was so burdened by all the stuff that I make him do that he's actually had to hire somebody else that works in the department. One of the things that I tell him that we do is anybody that sends a tweet and we're mentioned in it, we send a message back to every single one. And it's not a canned message. It's not an auto message. I tell them that they need to reply and let people know that we're listening to their exact tweet and you need to mention something in that to show them that you're listening to exactly what they say. And I think by by doing that, by having that conversation, by sending something to every single person, a lot of times we want feedback. We'll say, hey, thanks for taking a picture of the food that looks awesome. By the way, how was your service? Or did a manager touch your table? I'm a lot of times using that as a way to dig in and find out what could we have done better? Where could we have improved? Or Eight out of 10 will come in and say, our server was fantastic, and her name was this, or his name was this, and I love those moments because I can take now that, and I flip it a whole different way. Now I take it out of the public's eye, we've got 1,300 employees, and again, this is part of that day where I lose an entire day to this, but I'm okay with it because I see the value in it, and I email the employee, and I just say, just want to let you see this tweet that somebody talked about or said about you. Thanks for being an incredible piece of this team. You are why we are successful. And I, and I and then it's, I don't say that exact same thing every single time, but I, I say it in those same type of words to let them know how much I appreciate it. And I'll tell you, man, it's only happened about a dozen times. But when it does, when I, I've gotten an email from a parent, it'll be a forward. It'll have my words below it. And it'll, above that will be their son or daughter saying, mom and dad, look how cool this place is that I work for. And the parent will say, thank you for taking care of my daughter or my son. And I'll tell you, man, I get things like that, just, you know, occasionally in this business, you get you get a little run down, you get a little tired, and it's just something like that that really, all you need is stoke the fire to know that you're doing something right in the world. So, uh, I know that I'm totally off base with your original That's question of why how I use Twitter to promote
1: perfect. people
0: coming, but it's just something that we do that I find very important in, in who we are and what kind of a company we run.
2: Yeah, and it's so obvious that, you know, it's, it's a strong culture that comes from you and your beliefs, and... Even those little things like email, I mean, it sounds small, but emailing those tweets to the staff member that's being mentioned, that's not always commonplace in a lot of these service industries. So the fact that you as a as a president and a CEO and founder of a, what now, a 12 restaurant chain still take the time to do that, I think it's incredible. And- we're so apt as a society
0: to tell people when they do wrong or what they did bad. And I mean, Yelp would be a good example of that, where we're so quick to tell people how poor service was or what this was. And I'm always... It drove me nuts, and I, Yelp isn't my favorite place because I think that it got a little dirty for a while, and I also think it's a place where a lot of vendettas happen, and I don't think that's a true way to get a good review of a restaurant. I think it's not fair to that restaurant, and I've always told my customers that come to me first. If you tell me that I'm doing something wrong and I still don't fix it, then you have every right to blast me and never come back again, but at least give me the opportunity to understand that I'm still just a, a guy with a passion and a dream and a love for what I do, and I'm pretty sure that if I walked into your office that occasionally you've probably broken the coffee or spilled the coffee and, and I don't walk around and you know, I wish there was a Yelp service for me to walk around your office and and talk about when you do something like that as well. So, but I don't get to say that all to people. I usually just uh, I just flip off my screen and then I type them a real polite email so they can't see what I'm saying. So that's not your normal Yelp response. <laughs> that's not my normal Yelp response. We, you know, every Yelp it's another site that we just like Urban Spoon and a lot of those that are out there. We monitor those sites as well and we go to them and if we see that we have a, a bad post and you can go there right now and you could see on on a lot of our restaurants that we'll look at them and then we reply below it and say, hey, we apologize. We made a mistake. Here's our customer service email address. Send me a message so that we can take care of you. And when we reply with an apology, but not that I want to tell the world on your podcast that this is how we do it, because I don't want to. I know that there are people out there that are looking for free food, but I don't care if you come to me and you say you had bad service and you're one out of or two or three out of 10 that are just coming to me for trying to get a free meal you know what, I'll overcompensate and I don't care. If I have to give away some free food to get to the seven people that really had a legitimately poor experience, we always make sure that we send some freebies and some free coupons and, and gift cards their way to say, hey, give us another shot. Don't let this one experience shape and mold your view of my restaurant. Give me a second chance to make a first impression.
1: Scott Wise of Scotty's Brewhouse making a big impact on his customers, his employees, And these two podcast hosts. (laughs) So great stuff, Scott. We are running out of time. So we want to jump to our last question, which we ask all of our guests. If you could tell us one thing that you would give as advice to somebody starting up a new company in terms of how to handle customer service, what would it be?
0: Oh, man. I, I mean, I think that it's the easiest golden rule in the book, man. It's do unto others as you would have done to you. I tell my staff this. I would tell any business owner. I mean, I could give you a thousand different rules. Honesty and openness being two key ones, especially in today's world. I've always just ran my business this way. You know, my father, who just means everything to me, and my mother, who just taught me these simple rules of respect. And they both had businesses that they owned. And I'm going to totally get off subject here for a second. But they, one of the things that I always talk about, because it just meant so much to me, And I never understood it until I got older was I remember my dad pulling into his office and God, he parked like it felt like four miles away from the front door. And I said, Dad, you own the company. Why aren't you parking right up by the door? He said, because, Scott, you never forget that you're no better than any single person in this company or this world. You are all equal. And just because your name's on the building or because you sign the paychecks, you will gain more respect. Out of the people that are working with you and you'll find that they will do they will move mountains for you by doing little things like this and showing them that you are their equal and you are you're working right there in the trenches with them. And so I just have always ran my company with this open door policy. My office door is one of those things that I tell people anytime they need something, personally or professionally, I want them to come in and talk to me because I'll always give them an open and honest answer. And I think by doing that and showing people that respect and giving them the same thing that you would want in return, you're going to get so much out of your people and out of your business. And so that would be, I don't know if that's one or a dozen things I just rattled off with a bunch of tears, but that's what I would say would make for a successful business.
2: Oh, mate, that was amazing. Again, said it already, but it's just so clear where your the ethic inside your company comes from when you talk to someone like you in a leadership role and the fact that you're you know, not just passionate, but so obviously emotionally behind this as well, I think it's incredible. It's a kind of an inside company joke that I can't get through any clearly even a podcast. We're not even looking at anybody except my computer
0: screen that uh, I can't get through anything without crying. I, I'm definitely my mom's son, but and we didn't even get to talk about how awesome Schwarber and. Rizzo and and our Cubbies are.
1: (laughs) Ah, yes. Well, we can talk about that for a second now, because I did notice, of course, when I got onto your Twitter profile that uh, you are dressed in, I believe it was an Ernie Banks jersey.
0: That's correct. And
1: uh, you actually look like that you're standing on Wrigley Field. You know what? I was
0: blessed with an awesome opportunity to get out and throw out the first pitch, and not only it was National Restaurant Show weekend in Chicago, we bust up 50 of our employees, and then we did a customer contest, and we let we bust up 50 of our own customers, and we got T-shirts for everybody, which of course made it just all the more nerve-wracking, and made me want to crap my pants even more to get out there and, and. just for all, I had to summons all my energy and all the good luck from the gods, the baseball gods to say, please do not let me bounce this in the dirt. Or I don't know if you've ever seen 50 Cent throw his ball like to first base when he was trying to throw his first pitch. As I was telling you earlier, the only thing that made it worse and more mind numbing was the fact that some little kid that had just like broken his arm or his leg, like wheelchaired out to the mound and threw the ball before me and threw just this freaking like 80 mile an hour splitter right down the middle and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna totally go after this kid that just broke his arm and he threw an 80 mile an hour fastball and I'm gonna totally screw this up and and I didn't I was a little little high and outside but I would still consider that a win because I didn't throw it in the dirt
1: fantastic that's awesome that's an experience I am sure you will never forget and as we record here today the Cubs are heading towards the National League Championship Series so it's an exciting time to be a Cubs fan, and uh, by the time this comes out, we'll certainly know more than we do today. But we've been talking with Scott Wise, who's the president and CEO of Scotty's Brewhouse. Scott, thank you so much for being with us tonight. It's been really, really informative and and a lot of fun. And I have to tell you, I am going to schedule some time with the family to drive over a state to Indiana because I now <laughs> absolutely have to come to Scotty's Brew House. I'll tell you,
0: I appreciate it, guys. I was really honored and blessed to be able to be on your show. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I'll tell you, so I got beers on me. We just won a uh, bronze and a silver medal at the Great American Beer Festival out in Colorado for – two of our beers that we brew and i'd say the closest location you got we got one in lafayette so it's not too far from chicago and we've got another one on the northern part of indiana in mishawaka right outside of south bend so if you're having to go to the notre dame game or go to a notre dame game sometime you should uh, stop by and have a beer on me or i'll even meet you up for one maybe i'll bring some maybe i'll bring a growler with me when i come up to the cubs game next week
1: <laughs> fantastic we'd love to meet with you that'd be fantastic to our listeners, if you have a company that you would like to nominate to be on this podcast, please let us know by using the hashtag FOCS. It stands for Focus on Customer Service. We do want to thank our good friend Jay Bear for recommending the incredible scott wise for our podcast tonight and one more favor if you are listening on itunes or stitcher and you'd be so kind as to leave us a rating or review we'd really really appreciate it thank you so much for listening thanks to scott for being our guest tonight thank you to my british pal dan moriarty as always this is dan Gingus and we'll see you next time on the focus on customer service podcast Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast
0: presented by social media today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingus and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.